This week on The Other Kind Radio, peanuts for Apple, Spike Lee's new joint, and the loss of a truly great guitarist. All that and then some headed your way. It's October 21st, 2020, and this is episode 99 of The Other Kind Radio. Studios in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to the podcast known as The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio is a bi-weekly podcast in which Todd and Jeff ping-pong, ping-pong, ping-pong around all things pop culture and deliver to you, The Other Kind listener. My name is Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. Todd will be on shortly. It is early, folks. Please forgive me. It's only under our 99th episode, and I still can't get through the opening without uh, tripping over my tongue. The other kind of radio. While I'm busy doing that, we encourage all of our listeners to like, subscribe to The Other Kind Radio. By doing so, you're helping feed the algorithm that keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. One thing we did not put in the uh, run sheet today that we'll talk about is we have moved The Other Kind Radio. Uh, It shouldn't affect any of our listeners, but we moved it to a new service, and uh, there are a couple things I wanted to point out. I'll do that at uh, a later date here. Um... uh, This episode of The Other Kind Radio is brought to you by our friends down at Pub 134. I was listening to the last episode, and I failed, as many of you are used to me doing, I failed to mention that Pub 134 is located right here in Omaha, Nebraska. So for all of you in all other parts of the country that were searching for Pub 134 madly, you have to come to Omaha, Nebraska to go to Pub 134. And it is the coziest of pub located at Maple Village, uh, 90th and Maple. They've got uh, football on the weekends. We're getting ready to have the Husker kickoff this Saturday. So I'm sure they'll have that on. They've got uh, bags to play in the back, although it's getting a little cold. Uh, Beer and the friendliest staff here in the Big O. Pub 134 is ready to serve you. Stop in. Say hi to Nick. Say hi to the friendly bartenders. Tell them the other kind radio sent you, and maybe you'll get a fist bump or a hug or whatever. Pub 134, fun is in the bag. That's not their official... (laughs) That's not their official saying. I just made that up. All right. Now let's go ahead and welcome my podcast partner. He is a family generator, film school graduate, movie maker, guitar and drum player, book author, dive bar, boombox founder, and all around a renaissance man live from a studio in the great state of Texas since delivering the significance of the pop culture number 99. Please welcome Todd. Hi, kids. It's been too long since I've heard you. It's, It's so good to hear you. I'm glad we're together. <laughs> I need to get the kids back on there for you. Is that not the kids anymore? It sounds like the kids. No, the kids are yay. Oh, that is true. Yep. Okay, people, you know, give me my kids back. <laughs> so here we are, 99th episode. And you know what I'm going to start off with? What I always say 99 is a natural number following 98 and preceding 100. And after that, Wikipedia gives me nothing of significance to pop culture. So we're going to jump over to my pop culture site 
And boy, oh boy, is this going to be another way back machine moment for Jeff and I. Because 99 definitely would be the year when the two of us were working together at a fairly famous internet company that would go on to be acquired by a much more famous internet company. <laughs> so around that same time, and the reason I'm going to start with this one, 99 in pop culture, I don't think could be discussed without mentioning Y2K. Oh, yeah. So 99 was the year that everyone started freaking out because computers technically weren't weren't geared to go over to the year 2000 with the double zeros. They weren't sure what would happen. And that created chaos and panic. People thought they're going to lose their money in their bank accounts. They thought everything was going to go down. And this company we worked at, were you on call for that night, Jeff? I will tell you where I was that night. I was, uh, that night was the uh, unveiling of mm-hmm. the Pegasus, the neon Pegasus in oh, downtown yeah, Dallas. The, the, what bringing ga- it back, yeah. What what uh, what gasoline company is that? I you know what that is one of my wife's very favorite iconic things, and I can't remember what gasoline that is. But so I was. It's so funny you brought this up, and we didn't even talk about this in the in the in the um, in the pre-show, which is great. Um, I was surrounded by a bomb squad in a tiny mm-hmm. room hooked up to the interwebs streaming the event i think it was one of my first events uh counting down to the year 2000 and uh and what was going to happen and nothing did but that's where i was i was surrounded by a bomb squad i was quote unquote on call as the lead producer in case everything goes wrong we got to do and then all of a sudden it flipped and i was like looking at my phone expecting the world to end and nothing happened. And then it was only about maybe about 30, 40 minutes later, but anyone, when the, we got the message from the head of the company going, everything looks good. Thanks. And I was like, wow, that was the most anticlimactic moment of my life. You were, you were the producer on that event that I was doing. I was probably, no, I would not have been the direct producer, but I was the senior producer. So I'm watching everything to make sure it's all going on and everything's fine. And that we also weren't losing other files and, because I, I remember I, I definitely did not get a phone call from a senior producer that night that I stayed in. And... You weren't uh, on my radar at that point, so. <laughs> of course I'm kidding. Oh, wow, okay. Well, I'm kidding, too. I, but, I mean, it, it, the funny thing about that was is it was such a, oh, my God, the world's going to end, and it was such a non-event when it occurred. But um, 1999 also brought us a lot of other things. MySpace officially introduces on the internet, opening the era of social media. Bluetooth is announced, and we have the official release of something that would change the music industry, and that would be Napster, which was another thing that that company we worked at. No one really understood this file sharing type thing. And I remember I was like, oh, wait, hang on. I can go find that song that I can't find. I did it and had no idea that then I became a server for it. And I got uh, one of the, I think, uh, the vice president of the company at that time came over and said, um, Hey Todd, you got this thing on your machine and people are just pinging all the place. You're going to have to get it off your machine. I was like, uh, okay. And then whenever I thought I deleted it, I didn't delete it. And he's like, I wasn't kidding. I was like, okay. I, you know, but Napster, very weird, very weird type thing. Uh, and, and, and just real quick about Napster. One of the, one of the interesting or misnomers, of, what was the thing that came out? Was it Napster? And then there was one thing that came after it. I'm trying to remember, but it was a music sharing service as well. But what a lot of people, and, and granted, I mean, not to get into discussion of, you know, rights of music and, you know, who can, you know, have the rights to, to listen and, and uh, 
uh, share music. But a lot of the time, the 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 uh, the sound quality was not very good. So it wasn't just like a you know you were getting you know, absolutely pristine recordings of whatever band you, or music you wanted to listen to. You did have to go through quite a bit to find something that was good. True. Uh, um, but yes, I, oh, Napster. Yeah. I mean, it was so cool to go and be able to find things like War of the Worlds, the musical, which I don't know if you've ever listened to. <laughs> no. It, it's actually pretty good. It's, they've got a couple of, I'll, I'll, I'll put a link it's up. It's the Martians and here they come. Martians, where should we go? I think uh, you've been possessed by the by Jeff Minimalist, uh, the superhero. Um, yes. <laughs> it, it actually, it's actually pretty cool. Please continue. Uh, you know, it, you even saying that made me remember what it was I got in trouble about was, you know, at that time you still had your little MP3 player mm-hmm. and you had to rip your CD to put it on there. Well, what you didn't realize with Napster is once you opted in and if, you know, it, it said, would you like to store your music here? Sure. Whatever. So you would rip it. And then you became a server to that music. I had no idea I was sharing that stuff out. I thought I was just ripping it for me and I didn't realize it went here. And it was really the beginning of my education of you got to be mindful of what you're doing and in, in these situations. So Napster, it's a great idea, but you're right. If I rip it in a crappy quality, then, you know, what I'm sharing out is crappy, but, huh. So, jumping back real quick, I'm talking about Jeff Wayne's musical version of The War of the Worlds. Who? Jeff Wayne's musical version of War of the Worlds. Okay, look that it's up. It's a two-disc album, sold 15 million copies, uh, and had a number of uh, big uh, music... Jeff Wayne was the composer. You had Chris Spedding, the electric guitar and acoustic guitar. Herbie Flowers on bass. Ken Freeman on keyboards. Please stop me when you <laughs> recognize somebody that you actually know who's an artist. My dad gave it to me. Uh, if you've never listened to it, uh, it's very interesting. It's not quite as as poppy as, as Todd's rendition of The Aliens Are Coming. Um okay. But it, it is it is pretty good. I'm surprised you've never heard that. I, I'm going to have to chalk that up and give myself a little credit as I've now heard of something that Todd hasn't. You win today. No, I actually haven't. I For whatever reason, but now I've got it here on uh, Wikipedia. I'm going to read about it when we're done. I'm going to go listen to it. Oh, okay. I can't wait to hear uh, minimalist uh, Todd come back and... <laughs> Actually, I would I would be accused of being snotty Todd. Oh, snotty Todd, yes. I will sing my own mocking version of it um back to the number 99 99 was a year that had a ton of films that though a couple of them are shaky they do influence the way we we still view things today we had the sixth sense come out with its huge twist that i actually just saw a list i want to say from afi about the best horror films and it said look you can minimize this as much as you want but the twist was still revolutionary at that time uh, we also had the mummy which was nothing more than a send-up of indiana jones but the first one works fairly well with uh what's his face uh with the guy that brendan fraser brendan fraser fraser yes thank yeah. you yes but back when he actually looked pretty good um poor thing yeah <laughs> Uh, the best picture that year went to American Beauty, which is still a problematic film for me. Just makes me feel all kinds of icky when I watch it. Wow. Um, October Sky, a very sweet film. If you're looking for something to share with the family, Jake Gyllenhaal in a young role. I'm going to 
go next to a film that I usually would save for the last, but the last one actually, yeah, whatever. <laughs> Star Wars Episode One comes out, and Jar Jar Binks completely craps all over the screen. Mm. I, I'll never forget going to see that the first time, mm. and as was the case with a lot of my nerdy friends, we would go see it a couple of times and we, we saw it and I, I was like, ah, ah, and I kept thinking it and Shelly called me and she's like, so how was it? You know, she knew the movie's over and it's like, it was, it was, I, I think it was great. And I remember saying that to, I'll never <laughs> forget saying, I think it was great. And it was that, that, wow, I finally seen new star Wars that was still lingering over. And after the second time I went, this may be one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And it just started setting in of how many problems were just, laid throughout it you know just like again jar jar being stamping and poop in the middle of it um real, real quick uh, that is another example of where just a few words can can really change something and that is when when jar jar bing says are they gonna die all they had to say was yes yeah you are and then <laughs> that would have saved a whole generation the nightmare of dealing with uh, jar jar binks at that point, when he says that, you know, so that you you wish that Han Solo was there with the pull the blaster out without hesitation and blow his head off. <laughs> Speaking of wanted violence, uh, the movie that actually I'm going to end the film discussion on from 1999, unfortunately, is so influential that it actually goes on to uh, influence the kids that perpetrated the Columbine incident. Uh, the Matrix comes out in 1999. Oh. And and it did change a ton of things in film. You you had the I forget what they called it the the slow down time where the cameras popped all the Bullet things. Time. Uh, yeah, and the film that first film holds up. It is it's a beautifully executed film. I think the sequels kind of are crap, but that first film beautifully done. Sadly, I for me it's always going to go hand in hand when i see it with knowing that those two young men who were lost in their world decided to put on clothes that looked like the characters from that movie and go shoot everybody i i do not hold right. the film accountable to their actions unfortunately oh. we we all can find nefarious things to latch on to and and they certainly did can i share two things real quick um so my giggle out loud moment from the matrix was when Neo's on the building and and I can't remember the guy that says, "Do you want the red pill or the blue pill?" That's uh, what's his name, Bob, Lawrence Fisher. Bob Smankton. No, his character name. Neo. Uh, Neapolitan. Uh, no. Yeah, like that. Um, you can tell how much it really influenced us. He jumps over Morpheus. Morpheus. When Morpheus jumps from one big skyscraper to another. My my giggle out loud moment was I'm to that point I'm like wow Keanu Reeves is playing a new role and I'm not trying to beat up on him he's got a new role he's doing great but then he <laughs> Morpheus makes the jump and Dio goes whoa yep it's <laughs> like oh all right we're back to Bill and Ted's the second thing I wanted to share was uh, we all have Star Wars I was a little too young when Star Wars came out to really uh, I mean it was cool it had lasers and, and swords and stuff. Um, but the Matrix movie was the first movie I went to see um, at, I think, a AMC theater near in uh, near Oakview Mall here in Omaha, Nebraska. And it was it was literally the first movie I went to see by myself, came outside and was just like my brain was still just vibrating with just everything that I had just consumed. Really? It really just the whole thing. The only other movie to do that, Fight Club. 
but that's my two cents there on on Matrix. Just love the fact that with all the serious and bullets flying, you still had time for whoa. So here is a, I'm going to admit snotty Todd that I mentioned earlier at that point. So this is 99. I'd been out of film school for maybe about six years Mm. and I was so entrenched in now, of course I allowed myself to go see star Wars of of that century, (laughs) but I didn't see matrix in the theaters because now I, the Wachowski brothers, I think now of course they're, they're, they're trans and I don't know if they, refer to themselves because it was the Wachowski brothers. I don't know if they're the sisters now, but I, maybe they just go by their individual names. I don't know. I'd love to know so I can respect them properly. However, I saw their film bound, which came out before it. And it was a very film noirish, interesting thing about two women falling in love and that crime thing that went on. I was like, wow, that's great. And then when I saw, they made this bang, bang, shoot them up futuristic. I was like, I don't want to see that crap. And right. I was like, that's below me. <laughs> well, man, I wish I could go back to 1999 time. Go, let me explain something to you. Don't go see the Phantom Menace, go see the matrix. Because again, that film I mean, what you look for in any kind of artistic statement is, are you saying something, if not wholly original, are you saying something that's yours? And I think they created a perfect little world in that movie that I still don't think needs sequels to it. I think it when it was over, it was like that should just be left alone. It's a perfect little movie. I do. I do want to interrupt you again real quick. I want to thank you because I think you just solved the question. Why hasn't a time machine been involved yet? So I want to thank you for that. And I'll explain it because if there was a time, if time travel was an actual thing that we could do, do you know how beat down our younger versions of ourselves would be? Because we would constantly be growing up. We'd be at a bar and here would come future Todd or future Jeff. Hey man, don't drink that drink. Or, Hey man, remember you got to work tomorrow. Hey man, she's not that into you. Uh, you know, don't put your finger in a light socket. Just, and you'd be like, can you just stop? Just let me grow up. And then you would pop in and say, and I remember, uh, you need to buy the following stocks, <laughs> you know, but, but jump out at this particular time. So thank you for solving that. That's literally why we don't have time travel because we would beat ourselves down trying to warn ourselves about shit that you got to go through in life. You know, there's no getting but, around it. So don't beat yourself up is, too bad. Well, the funny thing is, is that younger Todd would hate older Todd for two reasons. The movie thing, watch all these movies and what you said in there, she's not that into you. <laughs> that would be the concept. It was like, come on. I know she's not into me. What about her? No, no. And it would just be constant. And I'd be like, Oh, and by the end of it, I'd be this whimpering fool. Right. Like, oh, oh God. Right. My future right. stuff would jump back and say, you know, uh, Citizens Kane's going to be one of your favorite movies. And I'd be like, get the out of here. That's not going to happen. You're crazy. All right. I'll shut up. Go ahead. You don't, you don't even look like me, man. I, I, don't, I don't think you're really me. <laughs> All right. 1999. Let's wrap it up. Uh, popular musicians, Lenny Kravitz. Kid Rock, really? I guess he would have been in about 1999. That is true. Pearl Jam, Foo Fighters, Eminem. And I know Jeff's favorite, Limp Biscuit. Were you a Limp Biscuit fan at all? Uh, I did it all for the, for the, but, uh, but, but, uh, or did they do jump? No, that was somebody else. I've I, got okay. every pop culture person listening to the podcast right now wanting to throw stuff at me virtually. Limp Biscuit. Um, I, I literally did that to you because I didn't like them. So I was trying to, I think to they had like ugly. one song and, and I think I had to hear it, you know, yeah. on the radio and whatnot. I, I don't know anything if I actively was against them. Yeah. 
TV of that era. Let's wrap this up. The Simpsons, of course. Uh, Frasier, ER, Seventh Heaven, Ugh. Buffy the Vampire Slayer, which was one of those that you know people constantly are like these block of seasons or some of the, the seasons that changed tv to what we have today well I've still and, never watched buffy the vampire slayer and that's where is it is it josh whedon that's where he started and then he went yep. on from there to give us firefly and a number of other other great uh shows right other than that you uh who's want who wants to be a millionaire probably was the biggest pop culture thing of that era and I didn't realize it started in 1999. But anyway, that is the number 99. Let's move on into the show. 99. And as I'm quickly trying to get a sound clip uh, loaded here, um, let's see here. There we go. That should be easy to do. Um, that you're right. That that's that's a huge one. 99 was also a huge year because that's when I moved from Omaha down to Dallas. So that was big just to uh, personally. But yeah, a lot going on uh, and just amazes me to hear you say some of those names. And it's like Kid Rock was just hitting it in 99. And, and I remember now because uh, at the going away party, uh, his song was played multiple times, even though I was <laughs> was not necessarily a fan. So, all right, well, well, go ahead. Can I throw one thing in yeah, there? Because yeah, yeah. it just hit me too. Because if we go back to the company we worked at, one of the the big things I did that year was I got <laughs> sent to Lubbock because Kid Rock was out there opening. I know Power Man, Power Man Five Thousand, which is Rob Zombie's little brother, was opening for Kid Rock. We went to interview Power Man Five Thousand, but I got to hang out with Kid Rock, and it was right after you recall that his first hit, he had a little person in, as his sidekick. Mm-hmm. He had just fired him. And after we in, interviewed Rob Zombie's little brother, I can't remember his first name now. Um, we're sitting down, and Kid Rock was very cool to us and said, "Hey, well, you know, got, you guys are hungry. Come sit over here and eat with us." And we got to eat with them. And um, someone mentioned the little person. He went, I mean, he just went on a cussing tirade about that guy, and just like he's like thinking that he was the only reason I'm, I'm becoming a star and I fired him. And it was just like, ah, uh, I, I kind of felt like I was in the wrong place at the right time. And uh, <laughs> it was, that's a memorable night. And then that night a cold front blew through like Lubbock does. And it went from like 80 to 20 and blizzard. And we flew out and what, yeah, did, you, what did you, memorable. what kind of bread did you break with, uh, with kid rock? What was, what was, cause I'm thinking what? barbecue. I'm, I'm just, that's horrible. Jeff. Nope. It was barbecue. You're in Lubbock. You get barbecue. I'll never forget it. It was, but it was good barbecue. So that's good. That's good. All right. Let's drag out the typewriter and uh, get into some headlines. It's going to be hard to to do this just because there's so much that's happening. And, and, um, so we're just kind of hitting off the top. If there are headlines that you would like us to talk about, please email them to info at the other kind radio.com. All right, uh, so there's a, there's a ton of stuff that's going on. Uh, just a couple things that, that hit me. Uh, first of all, uh, Todd's giving me a little bit of credit. It was announced uh, earlier this week that uh, the Netflix show Away with Hilary Swank, also known as I'll FaceTime You on My Way to Mars, uh, is, <laughs> is, is not going to be renewed for a second season. Um, and again, you know, opinions... Our opinions. I just have to be honest uh, that this obviously is a story about, you know, what happens when we travel to Mars for the first time. Traveling to Mars is a long time. And this storyline of what's happening on Earth versus what's happening in a spacecraft 
and the instant communication. They got better. They got better FaceTime quality from a spacecraft in the middle of nowhere to Earth than I do when I'm trying to you know FaceTime uh, you or or somebody else. We're in there in the next room on the same networks, and it's still breaking up and everything. So that was one thing that was technically to me. I don't. I don't think was very was very realistic. So if that's your storyline. Uh, you're gonna have to come up with a lot of uh, a lot of uh, humdingers, if you will, as far as twists and whatnot. It just to me wasn't there. Did you watch the entire show, or did you give up after a certain point? <laughs> and I, I look, I, hey, I, when I say that, th- I, I think the reason Jeff's laughing is because a lot of times I'm like, did you see it through? Did you? I, I'll be honest. There, there have been shows before. I'm like, this is garbage, and I've never gone back to it. So. I'm just curious if you made it all the way through. No, I appreciate you saying that because you've given me a moment to come up with a a uh, more uh, uh, apropos way of responding. I put in the amount of time that I saw or felt was necessary to make a judgment. And all kidding aside, I, I think I watched four or five, maybe six episodes. I was going to look up on Netflix uh, how many how many there are. Um, but It'd be it lo- funny if you go in there and you realize you only watched one and it felt like six episodes. Right. Previously on episode 74 of Away. <laughs> like, what? It was 10 episodes. I watched six. I stopped okay. two-thirds of the way through six. So unless there was a huge turn and Hilly's rank turned out to be, I don't know. Uh, Jar Jar Binks. <laughs> then I missed it and I apologize. Um, and, I, and I'm sure everybody else on that show will find some work and, and Hillary Swank's uh, credibility is still intact. I, I just think that I think when you get a bunch of writers in a room and you have to find a way to write a long story about a travel, a trip to the, to Mars, which I guess takes years might be a little problematic as far as like, so what are you doing now? Well, pretty much what I did yesterday, kind of like the COVID. Hey, maybe they should have given the, um, the astronaut some kind of weird space cold. And called, and called it space cold there you go right there i like it <laughs> um I, i'm trying to think I, I i think that you could make a good series about the idea of you know being separated from your world but it needs to have some kind of story about how separation I mean, it, it needs to be a story about separation if you yeah. look at uh alfonso Cuarón's gravity how really it's a story of rebirth and and their constant images of these kind of things that's what it's about it, it makes me, I, I think that you could do this where you could go back and forth, but if you don't have that underlying current and I've, I've watched none of it, uh, it, it just didn't really appeal to me. So I stayed away from it. Right. Right. Um, all right. And the next headline, which I was again, um, for many of us and all the kind listeners that are out there, you know, uh, unfortunately we're in a time where even just opening up your, your phone or your browser or whatever it is to check headlines it's it's almost done uh almost as enjoyable as going to the dentist uh and i was sad to see that jeff bridges uh announces that he has a uh has lymphoma has a cancer diagnosis now i did see later that it the diagnosis looks promising or Mm -hmm. the whatever the correct medical term for that is um but you know you see that and it's just you know uh, he's somebody that literally I've grown up with and seeing him in the first Tron movie. Uh, he was also in Starman. Uh, just a constant good guy that's, you know, worked in Hollywood and done his thing. And of course, we have the iconic uh, role that he played in um, the movie. I can't. The dude. 
Oh, the Big Lebowski. Big Lebowski, yes, which is a Coen brother movie. So for me, Jeff Bridges is the exact same thing. It's uh, somebody who's been there throughout my journey through being film obsessed. For me, roles uh, that stand out. Uh, Fabulous Baker Boys yeah. with his brother Bo and Michelle Pfeiffer. I just, as a musician, I love that movie because of the struggles of you're going to go play something and you're disrespected, disrespected and then kind of you get a little success and it becomes the inner turn, turmoil of who's, you know, really the, the successful part. But uh, of all Jeff Bridges' films, and Jeff won't be surprised when I say this, The Last Picture Show. Yeah stands out to me because that's probably one of if, <clears throat> i don't do favorites but if i'm going to pick toby uh top 50 most influential films in my life last picture show just was one of those that when i saw it i was like wow and he's so young in it and he's so vibrant i mean the guy and, and then you start thinking about crazy eight when he gets older and he's just he embodies those roles what he did in true the remake of true grit with the mm. brothers man it's just fantastic so it, it kind of broke my heart a little bit but I, I obviously death will come to us all as they say in citizen kane but wait, what wait what yeah you didn't know that death of a, well you're the one that told me before we begin this i'm dying in an hour so <laughs> hey that was that was a threat that was a Oh damn, that's even worse, Jeff. That means somebody you've arranged to have somebody come in and kill me. So see there, folks, the other kind of radio is, is informative and there are things to learn. Um yeah, that's that's sad. Hopefully you'll be all right. So yes. we'll we'll send our our uh, our good vibes. Uh I'm sure the dude would appreciate that his way. Uh Jeff Bridges, uh, you know, get well soon. Um yeah, again, the headlines, just more and more kind of just, what? Uh, and I saw this, and I, I I think I literally out, you know, out loud said, what the f***? It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, has been on the air since 1966. CBS broadcast it first that year. It's a staple. It's one of those things as you go through your childhood, you count on. You enter adolescence and it kind of disappears for a while, and then you become a young adult. Maybe you've got maybe you've gotten married. Maybe you have kids. You're flipping around. You forget that it's on, and boom, there it is. Oh, kids, come watch this. What's this? It's a cartoon, and you see it again for the first time. And this again is just I, I understand the the financial aspects of of modern day pop culture and and why they're doing this but to me just like saturday morning cartoons going off air and not knowing about it until there was a story about it uh the great it's a great pumpkin or excuse me it's the great pumpkin charlie brown won't be on abc this year the rights have been bought by apple tv um and i'm torn i mean it's it's tough right but it's that old what do you mean that cartoons on on television? Well, if you ask any kid, you know, around the age of what thirteen and under, they're not going to remember cartoons anyway. So it's not like they're really missing it. So maybe my my sadness is is just uh, just brought to you by the AV time machine and and what was in a yesteryear, and maybe I just need to get over it. I my first reaction when I saw it, besides my wife is a humongous. Uh, peanuts charlie brown snoopy fan just that's you know that's something that meant the world to her right and i, I guess therefore i'm protective of it when i see it and i already kind of don't like apple as a company i think they're a little bit snooty i think they're a little bit yeah they make great products but at the same time kind of don't believe your own press is what i've always thought 
when I saw this, I thought, okay, this is another misstep by them. They felt like, hey, we need content. Let's swoop in and get it. Here's the misstep. Why not make this? We're grabbing this, but we know this is such a bellwether thing for the for the American community. We're going to make a way for this to be free to anybody who wants you. And you could do that. You could do that. And that would also then you're getting a chance for people to use your software, Apple TV. And hey, look, and they're giving me this for free. This is a mistake to shut out a lot of people. And, and I haven't watched it, but it, it still does. You feel like the holiday season's there when you saw it on TV. It's just it's a misstep. It's it's silly. You know, you, you had you had something there that uh, that I completely agree with, which is. And this is what we would do if we were in that position. And, and you know, it's, it's like there's storylines, the, the Grinch who stole Christmas, uh, Scrooge, you know, where, where you try and, uh, what is that Eurythmic song, find a little uh, love in your heart? Absolutely. Your Apple. You've got just a wee bit of money there. Just a wee bit. Put it on broadcast by the by the airtime from cbs abc whoever you want to buy at the airtime so it's on television without cable like you said make it free mm-hmm. two if if you want to be scrooge ish but still retain uh scrooge street cred then just fill it with apple ads yeah <laughs> in between uh you know in between the show but if you want to really go the extra step, then as Apple, and you can have brought to you by Apple, you know, very, very subtly placed on the screen and everything. Yes. Then just take a bunch of nonprofit uh, uh, organizations, maybe children, since it's uh, a children's show, huh? and have that be it, you know, a little extra thing about food for this and, and you know, or, or toys or whatever. And could you, be, I mean, I'm just, to me, we're too geeky pop culture podcast people and this is what we've come up with and and i'm just wondering like did that person get fired because they brought it up or did anybody just not even look at the metrics of that because you would you talk about a pr uh dream i was going to say wet dream but that's all right but but a pr dream of just saying here's what apple's doing they're giving it back I mean, there's so many things they could do, and I know I'm not that smart. That's a, that's the point I'm trying to make, kind listener, is I'm not that smart of a person, but to me, that just seems to make sense. I think that it seems like everybody gave, kind of gave Apple a break on this because now, and I, and I think this happens with Netflix, uh, Google being that they own YouTube. I think people go through and like, yeah, okay, well, there's more people buying content. At some point, when you start shutting these doors and you buy that content, then it does become a little bit like, really? Yeah. I mean, some of these things, we're, we're always going to have some form of free broadcast in this country. You know, there are kind of regulations that say you have to do those kind of things. Um, it just, I don't know. This one just seems out of step. And, and it also, I thought it was kind of weird. Does Apple, by owning it, really feel they're going to get that many subscribers who are running out? That's the weird thing. Everybody wants it for free, but is anybody really going to go pay Apple so they can go watch it? I know my wife was like, oh, well, right. I'll watch my DVDs of it now. So I, I, I do want to be at least put a little bit of the journalism hat on and just say this. It is free on Apple TV. So if you have Apple TV, if you have an Apple TV device, mm-hmm. you can watch it for free. Okay, great. But that also means I don't have to pay for the service for Apple TV. No, no, it's it's free. 
So, so if you have Apple TV, or excuse me, if you have an Apple TV device, then you have Apple TV app on your Apple TV. Mm-hmm. Let me just say Apple TV one more time. Um, and then uh, the other thing that I just noticed is it's only going to be on. It's free from October 30th to November 1st. So it's three days, two days, depending yeah. upon what they're defining. Uh, true, true. Come on. So... So in other uh, words, they did get some backlash over it and they kind of went, Hey, we're going to give this to you for free for three days. You know, you can't get it over here, but here's the problem. And this is, uh, you know, when it comes down to Google TV, Apple TV, we have to get past this in this world where I have an Xbox. And so I know I can't get Apple TV on my Xbox. At least I don't think I can. Right. And I'm not going to go put it. I don't want no. another device, you know, and it's just like, Oh my God, there's too much crap out there. And and just to just to piggyback one more thing on there because because I don't want to give uh, our kind listeners tire head. It, hey Apple, it's also a pandemic. <laughs> People are going to yeah. be in their houses more now than they have been in previous years for Halloween. This could again be a win win. Just just put it on the air and just right. let people watch it. Don't have them, you know if you if you got if you got to get back into it and start collecting that dollar. Next year, hopefully, will be a better year to do that. So there you go. Uh, end of an era. And again, there's some kind listener, younger kind listeners that are like, don't care, don't miss it. But uh, for those of us that are a little older, uh, a little sad to see that go. All right, let's get into, I think, our last headline, uh, which you put on. And thank you so much uh, for adding this. So I'll just turn it over to Todd. And we'll talk about our next headline here. This is the surprising headline that hit, I guess, late last week that... Showtime is bringing back Dexter for a limited run series. But the biggest part of this, besides the fact that Dexter had officially ended, was that original showrunner Clyde Phillips, who oversaw the first four seasons, which arguably are by far respected over any other garbage that came after it. The, you know, Dexter for its first four seasons stayed true to its tone, uh, to stay true to what it was trying to explore. When Clyde Phillips left, it became this regurgitation of silly ideas where Dexter was, would get people almost kind of knowing who it was and then he'd get away. And then at the end, the final season, just all of a sudden he became a lumberjack and he got away with everything. <laughs> and, you know, by the, by the way, the article I'm looking at, uh, our 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 actor uh michael c hall i couldn't think of his name sorry to stammer there actually has a beard in it well famously in the lumberjack episode they put a glued on beard on him and it's like you really couldn't schedule this so he had a beard in it (laughs) It, the final shot i remember watching it going what the f is this well clive phillips has come back and said we are we're gonna do a final season and it's going to take we're gonna treat it like that happened but he says this is going to be the ending we deserve. So Showtime, kudos to you for going, hey, we kind of screwed up and we created a, an ending which many critics and many fans consider to be one of the worst endings to a long-running show ever. I Look, when people throw fits about Lost, I'm like, hey, Lost <laughs> comes off like Citizen Kane when you watch the end of Dexter. Oh, wow. So many things there. Uh, first of all, I had forgotten what happened at the end of Dexter. And to those kind listeners, um, please, if you haven't seen it, it's worth it. If you're looking for content, pickups, uh, Showtime Go or whatever. And he hasn't really ruined anything uh, by kind of saying that. Uh, but but at least, you know, you're, you're heading in a direction where the ending is not that great. I do want to ask Todd uh, this question. My favorite season of Dexter is one with John Lithgow in it. Mm-hmm. Was the director that you were mentioning or writer earlier involved in that one? Boy, that was such a great season. 
that was his last season and there are a lot of people myself included that feel like the show should have ended there right that it, it really what occurs with it and the, the challenges Dexter faces and what he learns by encountering the John Lithgow character kind of brought it to a head. You know, may, maybe you could make the argument that you need one more season for him really to explore everybody knowing what his nefarious things are. However, it was so good. I agree with you. It's just like so good. And I'll remember coming back the next season. And at that time, I didn't know that, that Clyde Phillips had left. And I watched right. it. I'm like about three episodes in, I'm like, this is kind of flat. Right. This is not the same show. This show is so good. If you've ever watched um, you on Netflix about the young man who, uh-huh. when he falls in love with a girl, he gets obsessed. It's very dexterous. When, when Abby brought that to me within about two episodes, I went, uh, this is I, I now call it baby Dexter because he, he voices over the things mm-hmm. it's the things he's learning. And he is a serial killer, just like Dexter. So, I am super pumped to see what happens with this. I, I loved that show when it worked well, and I want it to have a better ending. And real quick for the kind listener, Dexter is a show that came out. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. I'm, I'm sure it was in the early aughts. I think um, about a young uh, forensic uh, detective that uh, helps solve uh, crimes, but at the same time. Uh, has his own uh, serial needs that uh, he walks us through as well. So it really plays along with the enemy of my enemy is my friend as far as uh, trying to find evil and what better person to track down and find evil than if you're just a wee bit uh, evil yourself. So Dexter coming back to uh, Showtime, I think that's great. And I think any other uh, big shows, uh, <clears throat> Game of Thrones, uh, that have this COVID thing to deal with might want to come back. And I'd, I'd love to see uh game of Thrones where then all of a sudden uh, John snow, John snow comes back as a dragon. And I don't know, that's just, that's a freebie. They can have that one. You know, that would be a fantastic outcome of this. You know, here we are doing a bit of revisionist history and there are tons of shows out there that could use a little addendum on the end. That sure. could fix it. And I wish I wish instead of going out and buying peanuts that people would go, well, we got a really crappy ending to this. Let's go fix it. Now. I don't think game of Thrones is ever going to fix it. Those guys are almost defiant. Like we'd like what we did. Give me a break. You know what? You, you know that the world kind of looks at it and goes, come out and fix it. But I'm super excited. No matter what I get, Michael C. Hall is Dexter. Again, I get yeah. Clyde Phillips running it. It's going to be great. All right, so that's headlines in the other kind of radio. Again, we always invite your thoughts. Uh, please feel free to drop them by at info at the other kind radio.com. I will be more than happy to read them on the air, not read them on air, but we like your feedback. All right, let's move on to kind of our main focus. We've got a couple things to talk about uh, uh, as far as shows. Then we're going to get in and talk a little bit about the 100th. And then before we leave, real quick, I'm going to talk about our new hosting service and um, send a shout out. So, uh, the first thing we have here is one thing that we discussed uh, earlier. It's a new Netflix show that's not a continuation. It's kind of the same um, style as American Horror Story, where it's you know the same group putting it together. Sometimes they use the same actors, but basically each season is a different story. Um, so the one we're kind of we're kind of starting in the middle of the sandwich. Uh, Netflix has The Haunting of Bly Manor. 
which uh, I believe the first season, or if you want to, was The Haunting of Hill House. Um, but uh, Todd and I have watched a little bit. I've actually watched the entire season, um, and uh, Todd has seen a little bit of it. We'll talk about it, and then we'll do a follow-up to kind of see uh, what his thoughts are, because I've got some opinions on it. But basically, The Haunting of Blind Manor is about, uh, about a house and a family and a new nanny slash teacher that has been hired to um, work at said house. First impressions. What are your What are your thoughts, Todd? I so this is directed and show run and written by Mike Flanagan, who oversaw the first season. He also directed uh, Doctor Sleep, which I think. It's kind of an underappreciated sequel to The Shining. Uh, and now I can't recall the first film he made with his wife about a young uh, deaf woman who gets trapped in a house and guys torture, like torturing and taunting her. I think he's a great director. I think he's very interesting. And I thought with this first episode, that's all I've seen is the first episode. It really, for what a ghost story needs, it had a the perfect tone it was exactly where it needs to be kind of spooky there's some stuff going on but what I, what i've liked about mike flanagan is that he understands in ghost stories that it's often not the ghosts that is the most terrifying thing if you go back and watch hill house the, the more interesting terrifying demons are those that they keep internalized that are haunting them and controlling them and the ghosts just sort of push them along i'm curious to see if he he pulls that off again i i've read some dissenting things about this one but I've only not finished it because my lovely 17 year old daughter wants to watch it with me and she's not had time because of school. And I will say this too. And, and, and two things real quick. I think the film that you were trying to think of is called Gerald's game, which came out in 2017. Was that the one? No. And I'm going to look at it. Oh, right. Okay. He did do that one. And he did a great job with that. I'll, I'll figure out which okay. one it was. I'm trying to think of. Um, I agree with you. Uh, this show now, see, I'm not a big fan of horror films and I'm, I'm trying to fight that a little bit with, with some of this. I mean, it is Halloween. Um, and I, I guess the, the horror films that I've had the biggest problem with is, is some of the gore and then just, you know, sitting through an hour and a half to two hours of jump scares. Uh, that's something I just don't need, <laughs> especially right now. I've got enough, uh, going on myself. Right. But I really do like the way that this was put together. I like the creepiness. Um, in the in, I love the way it starts, and you see as uh, the main, one of the main characters is crossing the street, and a car passes by. You see something in the reflection. That mm -hmm. kind of stuff is uh, the. I don't want to say train wreck because those are horrible things. But those are the things I can't avert from my eyes from if I wanted to. Like that kind of creepy pulls me in man i like i don't want to watch but i'm i'm like did you just like did you just see that and i'm in the room by myself so that's even creepier but um that's the kind of scary i like and this has a lot of that in there mm -hmm. that being said as we have our continued conversation about this i kind of want to explore some things that happen because i've seen all of it and get your opinion on it um that I think may or may not have worked, but I they did a great job setting the foundation, uh, much like uh, Lovecraft uh, Country did. Uh, but 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 I think Lovecraft has has hit a whole nother pace that that uh, is going to require some 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 real watching from me. But uh, Blind Manor has has pulled me in, and 
I can't wait to see what you and 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 uh, your daughter think of it as you guys get further deeper into the story. So let me first off say the film that I'm trying to think of, and it was a South by Southwest official submission, 2016's Hush, which the byline from IMDb is a deaf and mute writer who retreated into the woods to live a solitary life, must fight for her life in silence when a masked killer appears at her window. And this is where Mike Flanagan can be really, really good. And and by the way, his wife who's in it was, I don't know if she's in this one, but she was in the first season uh, with Hill House. She played uh, Theodora or whatever, the, the one that could touch people. That's his wife. She's in the second one. She's okay. in, she's in Bly Manor. Yeah. I thought she was because they, you know, they, they work together really well, but this is where Mike Flanagan is really good with Hush. It, and it's a lot of what you're talking about there is he understands how the smallest of conceits, which that she's deaf, that opens a whole new avenue to the things that can be terrifying when somebody's outside your house trying to get into you and hurt you, mm. you know, but it also becomes a superpower to her in ways that she, you know, she doesn't have to worry about certain things, but he's very good with those things. Now I, I'm kind of expecting First, there's soon to be missteps in this because of the things I've read. But what I agree with you, Mike Flanagan is just so stinking good at understanding the little creeping moments are more terrifying. If you go back to, we talked about the sixth sense. I think the one of the reasons yeah. that the ghost and sixth sense work is that they aren't, Oh, you know, they're just all of a sudden you look and there they are. And you're like, Oh my God. And yeah, that's when a ghost works. It, you go back to the to the first season of Hill House. By the end of it, you'll realize that there were things that you didn't know, and they pay off. And it's like, oh my god, that's delicious. So I can't wait to watch the rest of it, even if uh, even if it's only three fourths of what Hill House was. I still think I'm going to like it. I, I am going to make a prediction that you will enjoy it. I will make another prediction that because you've already. Uh, tasted that flavor of ice cream that while it's still enjoyable, it isn't going to be, I don't see anything that they've done in the second one. That's going to surprise you. I think in a lot of ways you're going to be like, Oh, okay. And then to tag on to what you said, yes, the ghost that goes, is uh, not as terrifying as the ghost that walks up and goes, Hey man. <laughs> well, I always think this, the ghost story, you know, uh, when, when a ghost story is terrifying is when you think you've been watching a drama about something else and suddenly you realize one of the people and it's a ghost, you know, something like that. You're like, right. what the right. F, you know, that's, that's messing with your head. And I think that's what he's done really well. I do want to say that this is also based on the same, is it Henry James? who wrote it, uh -huh. um, novel that inspired the Finn Wolfhard film, the turning, which came out, I guess, uh, last year. Yeah. My my daughter being a fan of Stranger Things when seeing she, I, I will never forget she came home and she went, Dad, can I talk to you about a movie? <laughs> I said, sure. Um, this and this and this and this, and it didn't make sense. Does that make it a bad movie? It was like, that makes it bad. Well, we watched this first episode and she was already like, okay, so this is the same story, I will tell you, but this one makes sense. Ah. Like, well, you you give a you put a good solid director, which I don't want to bemoan that person. I think the person who directed it may have directed some Handmaid's Tale. She did. So she's a good director. She just made a misstep with the turning. Yeah, I'm sure there's multiple elements going to that. So if you have Netflix and you're looking to get into the Halloween spirit, make sure you check it. Now, here, I will ask you this. Uh, this is actually a good thing for the kind listener. Should they go, and because they're both out, should they watch The Haunting of Hill House first and then move on to Bly? Would it be more enjoyable? I, I'll tell you honestly, I feel like if you've not watched Haunting of Hill House, 
you're missing out. I really okay. was surprised at the emotional depth, the 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 depthness of storytelling. I, I go watch it. And if you like ghost stories, go watch it and have fun with right. it. It's a perfect season for it. Sure, watch both of them. And uh, for content. And here's a challenge for the kind listener. Uh the gentleman that plays the father is uh is in a in one of the most popular movies of all time. See if you can identify the actor. And if you can, uh, hit us up on Twitter. All right. Uh, moving forward. Now, Todd and I have one thing that we want to kind of get into and give you a little heads up since everybody's looking for stuff to watch. I gave myself a big gold star because I was uh, flipping through HBO Max um, and came across something that I will tell you. Uh, again, if we had time travel, um, I probably would have popped up and said, no, you need to watch this because I initially didn't really want to. But it is David Byrne, and it is a Spike Lee joint, and it's David Byrne's Utopia, which, uh, of course, I didn't know, was a show that David Byrne put together off-Broadway, which got rave reviews, and basically it's a concert. Um, At the same time, it's a little modern dance, it's a little modern art, um, and of course it's directed so i think what happened was david byrne was put had this on on broadway or off broadway spike lee came and saw it and then david byrne was like you know i'd like to film it and what better person to have spike lee to do it so they came in and shot it um right off the bat i just want to mention that one of the coolest things is as far as the thing that caught my my geek in me uh was that and todd will appreciate it as well so we're all used to seeing concerts with you know your drummer where the drummer goes the lead guitarist where the lead guitarist goes you know unless you're Bruce Springsteen and you want to do something different and not talking to a microphone but um all of the instruments and all of the band members are all wireless including Mm -hmm. vocals instead of having a drummer he has a drum core so while one person may be just simply playing a certain you know like a the snare drum or something like that he has other people filling in all the other uh instrument parts the fact that they were able to make that happen and keep it up and running um without interference and stuff like that is just amazing uh and then just the choreography it's one thing to sit there and drum for an hour and a half uh kudos to these these musicians because they're they're at times literally jumping around and playing uh just to have some synchronicity with what's happening on stage and the music that they're playing um and I, the other thing I like just on that note real quick that David Byrne does is, first of all, he's a very gracious person. And I could listen to him talk all the time because he's he's just really, really nice. He's self-deprecating at times, but he's there just to share the experience. So in doing so and being kind of pulling it behind the curtain, he, t- he talks and addresses that there were critics that said there's no way that these musicians are playing live. And he said, you know... I'm not, a, he goes, well, I have nothing against the playback tracks or anything like that. So right there, he just immediately addresses and say, Hey, if you want to do that, that's not a problem. But what we're doing here, it is. And so then he intros the next song instrument by instrument. So you can see that they are in fact playing live. Uh, and, and that to me, that's just amazing because not only that, and I want to, this is where I'm going to turn it over to Todd. I've never been in a band, um, but I know a little bit of the workings in the sense that 
you've got to be able to, as the drummer, you got to be able to hear the bass line a little bit so that you can know that you guys are syncopated and in time. Uh, vocals have to be able to hear themselves a little bit so they can make sure they're staying on pitch. This is all done through in-ear monitor, right? And normally on stage, you have your fold-back monitors, which are the little speakers that are on a stage. Just the very coordination and logistics that go into actually pulling this off really impressed me. I totally agree with that. And and now I've only gotten to watch two thirds of it because this, Jeff, just as a, a to you, this is whenever I told you yesterday, hey, I'm getting a work call set up. Right. That was literally what happened. I kind of had to go and get to finish it. <laughs> but I was having a hard time separating film geek Todd and musician geek Todd, because I was like, okay, I, I love it. I, I, I see what Spike's doing here. Okay. I'm with that. But the drummers being a lifelong drummer, that was the part for me that I just found myself watching over and over. Yes. The wireless nature of it. Also the miking of those drums. I, I, there were times yeah. where I'm like, where are the mics on those things to be getting the tonality there? Because you, you learn as a drummer, there are places that you mic that instrument. So you get certain sounds. And sure. I still am not certain, especially the one that is killing me is the, the drum that they use as the bass drum. So the bass drum, when, if you, if you're really not aware of it, when you listen to a song like David Byrne would do, it'd be the boom, 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 that thing that's pushing it. Well, they use a, 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 a one headed Tom, Tom, which should ring to God's green. It should be going dong, dong. And that thing comes off. Doom. And it's like, I, I am just that drum alone. I'm not kidding you, Jeff, for yeah. probably 30 minutes. I was like, I don't understand. Yeah. So everything you said about this is so true. I, the funny thing is with David Byrne, I love him. I went through a huge talking heads phase, but I also went through an anti David Byrne phase because of effectively how he kind of pushed the rest of the talking heads away. And they all, they don't have, they aren't angry with him. They all kind of have hurt feelings. Like we were all really close and he just went, and so that kind of thing, I always, I always kind of, eh, I wish you'd be a little kinder to your friends, but still what a great show, except I have one complaint about the Broadway show. Mm -hmm. And this is a little bit of a complaint about David Byrne, the misappropriation of sounds from other types of music. Uh, like when Paul Simon did Graceland, he gets lambasted for taking sounds of South Africa and putting it into his music because he's white and that's misappropriation. David Byrne doesn't get any of that yet. There are definite African influences in his music. And I don't understand why people aren't going, Hey, that's wrong. And then when you look in the audience and it's nothing but a bunch of Lily white people who can afford that ticket that costs probably 300, $400 to be sitting there. That's where I kind of sit there and I thought, boy, this is kind of out of step with things now. That's that's commentary, Todd. The artistic endeavor, the lighting of that stage, the staging of it, the dancing, presentation, his performance, outstanding. Just simply outstanding. Very well said. And then as we got to kind of quickly move along here, I do want to get your feedback. Spike Lee helped mm -hmm. or didn't help with the I way that he shut up? Really? It was fantastic. I thought there were times when it was like, oh, he's bringing there are moments where the, the stage is kind of surrounded by like a chain mail type mm -hmm. curtain and they'll blast like one time David is saying that he's watching TV and they blast a light through mm -hmm. it. So it almost looks like he's watching a fuzzy TV screen. And then Spike 
doesn't overdo it. He simply at the end puts his camera behind the screen as he walks through it just to give us a final. That's where almost like I think he thought I can add a little bit of filmmaking to this. I, th- I thought it was great. I, I assume you don't. Well, I mean, I, I think he did a lot of things right. And I have absolutely no legs to step on as I'm not a trained eye, nor have I ever had to uh, come up with a way to draw this. And this would be a tough project in the sense that there's so many things you want to look at. I'll just simply say there were a couple of times where he went left and I would have gone right. Uh, yeah. There was a pan from the, one side of the stage to just like three or four feet that caught my attention. I'm like, what the, why the hell would you do that? There was, I mean, you know, but again, that's, uh, that's uneducated, never experienced, have, uh, no, uh, skins on the wall, Jeff, <laughs> giving Spike oh. Lee an Oscar winning, uh, director ideas on what he should do with his camera. I, I think to be really fair, look, are there times that if you're going to use the moniker of uneducated film, I great. Are there times where that director needs to understand I'm speaking to people that are uneducated? Absolutely. Are there times when we, the uneducated, need him to teach us how to speak the language without question? And I think where those two things cross is often frustrating because you're almost like, I don't understand why you did that. And and I don't I don't know what you're talking about. I haven't I don't know that I saw that, but. Some things are aesthetics, some things are choices, but, you know, I think that even the best speakers and that's film is speaking in a language, the best speakers occasionally don't connect their thoughts. So I I think he's a a masterful director and what I've seen so far, really enjoyed. Nice, nice. So check that out. David Burns Utopia uh, on HBO Max. Uh, Before we say goodbye to some uh, well uh, loved people that uh, we lost over the last couple of weeks, we're going to go through a new show on Showtime. I don't have Showtime, but Todd is watching it called The Good Lord Bird. Todd thinks you guys should check it out. Todd, tell him why. This is a, a series starring Ethan Hawke based on the, I'm trying to think of what award it won. Let me find it. Oh my God, when I want to find it, I can't. <laughs> it won a literary award and I can't find it, but it is a, a story about abolitionist John Brown, which you think automatically, oh, come on. This is what IMDb says about John Brown is a limited series in which he, it's, it's fictional history. So he's a real person who he encounters sometimes is not. He travels with an enslaved boy that he calls onion. Onion is dressed as a girl. At one point that all, all this little boy can find is a dress and Hmm. he puts a dress on. So John Brown thinks he has a young woman with him. John Brown is this abolitionist that if you read into history, many people think he is the reason that, that slavery was eradicated in America. He goes on and he meets people like Frederick Douglass, who's played by David Diggs from Hamilton. Hmm. It is funny. It's enlightening. It's heartbreaking. It is thought provoking. It's a really good series currently on IMDb, which, you know, it, it I'm sorry, on uh, Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at 100% approval by critics. Wow. So, I mean, take Rotten Tomatoes for what it is. It's, you know, not 100% itself, but still, I mean, there is a lot of chatter out there that this is one of those kind of special series. So if you have showtime, if you're looking for something that you look, you're not afraid to be a little challenged by the thoughts it's putting out there. It's a really, really good show. And Ethan Hawk, if you had told me when I saw reality bites that one day I'd go, wow, he's actually a really good actor. I might've gone whatever. It's on um, a great summarization there. I'm interested. And I just was going to try and tell the kind listener how much, uh, Showtime Go is 
but I see that it is available on Hulu, a premium subscription as well. So well, I don't... you have to you have to get the Showtime add-on through Hulu because that's how oh. I have Showtime. Ah, gotcha. Okay, so anyway, uh, one of the benefits of uh, living in this modern age is. Um, you know, you can pick up those Showtime, those HBO Maxes for just a few dollars and, and it's month to month, so you don't have to get a whole year subscription. So thank you for that. All right, we're going to jump into, and I always uh, struggle with how to, what to call this. Um, one thing that I kind of caught my mind is uh, always uh, telling people congratulations. If you see him in the morning, say, Todd, congratulations on breaking your record. And Todd says, what record? And I say, your most consecutive days alive. So I thought about calling this next segment people that no, you know, have, 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 will no longer break their consecutive days alive, but I know that's too dark. But anyway, we lost a few people. Um, so we're gonna jump back and forth. These are in no particular order. The first of all, <clears throat> I think I saw this yesterday and uh, just, just really caught my eye because uh, the following guitar riff and vocal uh, is something that has uh, that shaped my teenage brain in a town of El Paso, New Mexico in eighth grade. I was at a, I think a birthday party or something and somebody had this and um, in my mind, I was kind of forever changed. I can, I can hear my my father's eyeballs rolling. Uh, I know it's a pop song. I know it's the outfield. I know that in the history of music, they probably haven't really contributed anything. But for whatever moment in time, hearing that was something that has always been an earworm for me. Uh, and we're sad to say uh, goodbye to Tony Lewis, the lead singer of The Outfield, who passed away at age 62. Todd, your thoughts? It, I was never a huge fan, but what I think of songs like that, it's like Jesse's Girl. They're perfect pop nuggets. I mean, yeah. that's one of those, once it gets here, it's not going to lose. It's not going to leave your brain anytime soon. And I respect the crap out of people that can write those songs. Now I know he didn't write that song, but his voice yeah. is so stinking distinctive that you, it's like, I can't sing that song in my head without hearing his voice. Yeah. Uh, and then, uh, we'll move on from there. Uh, it looks uh, like, and this one was a head scratcher for me at first too, but James Redford, son of Robert Redford, uh, passed away at 58 this past week. Uh, this again, caught my eye for a couple of reasons. One, Robert Redford, uh, very well-known actor Two, I don't know much about his son, but for me, it was more of being a parent and losing their son, you know, prior to them expiring themselves has always got to be tough. Uh, do you know anything about James uh, Redford, or, or was he, did he stay out of the limelight? No, he actually has some some film credits, and most of it, from what I know, and I'm looking real quick at IMDb, were documentaries. And you know, look, when you have a dad that is as big as Robert Redford is, and I don't just mean as an actor, but for those of you that don't 
really reach into what Redford's done with the Sundance uh, Film Festival and Institute, etc. I mean, the man changed the landscape of how we talk about independent films. So it's not like doors were probably hard for him to open as, mm. as someone. Yet, when you open those doors and your father's Robert Redford, there's a weight to that door that you better hold up. And from everything I do know about his life and his filmography, he was pretty respected for what he did. He did a lot of things about uh, really, obviously, if you're going to do documentaries, you're going to do subjects that are quote unquote important usually. And his tended to be along the lines of what his father's thoughts were about the environment, et cetera. So respected within the industry. I don't know that I actually ever saw one of his films. And at a young young age, fifty eight. I mean, that mm. seems right around, right around the corner. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, James uh, Redford, uh, uh, rest in peace there. And the last one that we've got uh, is something that, again, uh, you know, it's another another. Uh, open up your browser and 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 you read it, and you're like, oh shit. Um, so I'll just paint a quick picture for the uh, for the kind listener. And Todd, you can jump in whenever you want. But uh, way back in nineteen eighty four. I was on the playground in High Rolls, New Mexico at an elementary school at recess. And often how many things are introduced to your life. I was called over and something was pointed out to me. And I remember seeing a cassette case with a drawing of an angel on it, smoking a cigarette, which to me at that young age was probably the most taboo, awe-inspiring, what the is going on image that I could that I'd ever seen um you know just the contradictory angel smoking a cigarette uh and this is back in the 80s when cigarettes I guess were still somewhat uh acceptable of course I'm talking about Van Halen the album was 1984 with you know Jump and a number of other great songs one of the magical elements of that mix was uh Eddie Van Halen who I've just recently learned, doesn't know how to read music, was never trained how to play guitar, but in his long career as a musician, uh, not only influenced countless numbers of other young young boys and girls wanting to learn how to play guitar, but, but just to replicate that sound that he could make with that instrument, um, to me... It's just great to, to read and, and learn about a, a, an artist, a musician that that didn't have, you know, the, the, the lessons, the, the theory that is so important to some when it comes to learning an instrument, but just picked up the damn thing and just started to proceed to just, you know, do his own thing. And, uh, watched a lot of video in the last week, uh, of him and, and just still blown away with what he just kind of naturally did with something that so many other musicians play and, and are successful with. So Eddie Van Halen, uh, in my life is forever intertwined with a friend of mine that I lost about three years ago, a friend named Rodney Blair, who was a, a guitarist in, in multiple bands that I was in, uh, Rodney here, I am five foot seven. Rodney was six foot seven. So we literally looked like the polar opposite of each other. I was raised on Springsteen and the police. And here he came with, with Eddie Van Halen. And I kind of mentioned those things when I spoke at his funeral. And whenever I found out about Eddie passing, it literally, it didn't, it didn't open the wounds of, Hey, I've lost one of my oldest, dearest friends, but instead it made me think, 
you know, the weird symmetry of life and how things happen. But to, to know that he had finally lost his battle with cancer and to think that 65 years, correct? He was 65 when he passed away. Yes, sir. So 65 years in 65 years, when you revolutionize an instrument, you, he could have died at five years old and that five year impact, if he'd been able to do it would have just been monumental. Well, he, you know, 65 somehow ends up feeling too short when you're someone like that. And, and to, to be fair about him, he, he started playing drums. Oh, wow. And, and his brother, Alex, who was the drummer for Van Halen, eventually took that over and Eddie picked up the guitar. Now their dad was a, I want to say a clarinetist, a jazz clarinetist. So there was music training in the house, but Eddie just never went for that and just taught himself how to do it. And that that's even like monumentally fascinating to me that when you've got somebody who reads music and everything in your house, and you kind of go, yeah, and you just teach yourself. The things he did with that guitar, it's not, it's, it, yes, it is the blazingly fast nature of it, but it's the sound of the guitar. You knew when Van Halen came on, if it was a new song and you didn't hear who it was that they said, you knew who it was. You knew when you heard Michael Jackson's beat it, you knew who was playing that solo in the middle. Eddie Van Halen was just, there, there are few guitarists like him. There will be few guitarists ever that are as influential as he, he was. Let's take a listen. he's so well known for i'm going to limit the time we live there because obviously we don't have any rights to the music and we, we don't need uh right. don't need the ghost of uh eddie van halen coming back and uh causing any trouble uh very well said and and somebody that um you know and again we're getting to that age when somebody like that passes away you know you take the time to kind of look back and and see you know again sights and sounds and everything so um Thanks for all the good songs there, uh, Eddie. Rest in peace. All right. Now that we've covered death, uh, <laughs> let's uh, quickly jump into our next episode. Um, our next episode is the number 100 episode. I am so pumped. Congratulations to you, Todd. Uh, and to you. And in trying to find uh, you know, something to celebrate the 100th, uh, and believe you me, George Clooney and a number of other actors just didn't get back to us. I know they're very busy right now. Uh, we are going to bring on somebody that has a Guinness Book World Record. And so uh, real quick, this is how you can go check him out. I'm looking at his stream right now on Twitch. He is sleeping. <laughs> uh, you can watch him sleep on Twitch. Uh, can you hear him? He has he has some uh, some background music that he plays uh, very quietly in the background. I know this is this is should be fine. So I don't know if you can hear it. Yeah. So it's it's uh, lo-fi hip hop, which I've listened to uh, recently. I, I want to make sure for him because this worries me. Because look, oh. I I I'm sure I snore. I'm sure I fart. I'm sure uh, yeah. I do everything, and I don't want the world going. Hey, look yeah. what he did. You yeah. know. I haven't watched him while he's slept for a long period of time, but he's crashed out right now. So, kind listener, go to twitch.tv and just search for GP Hustler. J G P 
H-U-S-T-L-A. He's in New England, and he's been streaming for a total thus so far of 1,605 hours, which is, I think, a little over two months. Um, wow. He's got a great community. He's, he's very... Uh, engaged and does a great job i i just kind of like the thought of this i streamed on twitch for a while uh but for somebody that just decided you know what i'm just going to stream 24 7 and he uh, gets asked a number of times how long he's going to do it and all that good stuff well he's going to join us live on the show and we can talk pop culture and film and what the heck he's streaming and and why and how long and all that good stuff so make sure you check out gp hustler uh, on Twitch and uh, tell him the other kind radio sent you. He'll he'll appreciate that. But he'll be on the show in one week as we uh, celebrate. And we'll see. I'm sure he'll have a whole nother week of streaming underneath his belt, and uh, we can talk about it. I mainly was interested just because he he said he was a huge uh, film and TV fan, so I figured that'd be kind of fun for him to stop answering questions like, "Do you go to the bathroom? Do you sleep? Do you masturbate on camera?" He can he can finally have a little bit of a different conversation with. Uh, you mean I can't ask if he's worried if he farts while he sleeps on camera? I'm sure you can ask him. And here's the other thing I ask of the kind listener now. Um, a little bit of a homework uh, assignment. Check out a stream. If you have questions that you want us to read on air, info at theotherkindradio.com. Give us an email, and we'll read it on air. I've had the opportunity to play online with him while he streamed. We played some uh, Call of Duty. Uh, he's ad admitted to me he's a little nervous. I told him, it's me and Todd. Don't worry, you won't mess up because I can't even get through the intro without stumbling over my words. Don't worry, it's low key. So we'll be very, uh, very happy and honored to have him on. So go go see him on twitch.tv uh, and, and say hello. Um, and, and I think that'll be a good 100. I think that'll give us a little bit of uh, uh, perspective as far as our journey. Uh, right. It's also the week of, Hall of Halloween. So uh, I think that'll be good. And one other thing I wanted to get to, unless you had anything you wanted to add there, Todd. Nope. Uh, we have moved. The Other Kind Radio, uh, we're streaming on a new service. Um which is which is great and i don't want to i don't want to point anything out bad about the other company i'm not looking for for put downs or anything but i do want to say we have uh some new analytics that we're getting as far as listenership and everything and i would be remiss if i did not send out a huge shout out to india this new service that we're using uh kind of connects you with other uh streaming platforms and stuff in india has its own kind of uh i don't know uh, switcher, if you will, uh, uh, or, or Sketcher or Stitcher or whatever it is, the different podcatcher um, programs out there. And uh, India is uh, is is really enjoying the show. So hello, India. Um, <laughs> we are Hi, India. <laughs> exactly. Uh, Pakistan, Russia, Bangladesh, Canada. Some of those have been on there before, but India has really taken off and is enjoying the other kind radio. So I wanted to say hello to them and thank you for listening. All right. So we've been in here for a little longer than usual. I know it's been a while since we broadcast. I'm going to turn it over to Todd to see if there's anything he wants to add. And then we'll, we'll uh, let you get on with your day. You know, I've got nothing left to add except that it's great to talk to you again. And the one person who deserves the accolades for what we're about to do, which is the 100th episode, is you. Because you oftentimes, he'll, Jeff will tell me, hey, it's because you told me just to go do this podcast. Great. You can tell somebody to do something. But unless they have the dedication to do it, we all know what's going to happen. And she's going to fall apart. You've gotten us to a hundred. So 
you know, I hope maybe you have the kids or the people queued up and we can applaud you. Do you have that queued? <laughs> I want I want an applause for Jeff. Please. All right, we'll just do it right now. Oh, there we there go. Thank you. Thank you. No, please, no, please, Jeff. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate that. That's really nice of you to say that. Uh, I'll just, uh, I will counter back with, without you, it would be the sound of one hand clapping. So thank you for uh, <laughs> all of, all of your help and uh, support along the way. All right. Um, that's going to do it for the 99th episode of the other kind radio. A big thank you to Todd again for his time, uh, in chatting with me, uh, check us out if you can. Um, by looking at us on Twitter. Uh, you can just search for us and whatnot. Uh, we do encourage our first-time listeners uh, for finding us. And thank you so much. We're uh, very happy to talk to you. Info at theotherkindradio.com. I am stumbling over this because I didn't write my notes right. The other kind. Phone line's still open. 214-843-1149 if you want to leave us a voicemail. 100th episode next week, folks. That's a big one. And as you're working your way through this next week, just remember, we all are... The Other Kind Radio. Thanks for listening. The Other Kind Radio. The Other Kind Radio.